part two section six of swan's way by marcel proust translated by c k scott moncrief eighteen eighty nine to nineteen thirty this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part two combray section six there must have been a strong element of reality in those virtues and vices of padua since they appeared to me to be as much alive as the pregnant servant-girl while she herself appeared scarcely less allegorical than they and quite possibly this lack or seeming lack of participation by a person's soul in the significant marks of its own special virtue has apart from its aesthetic meaning a reality which if not strictly psychological may at least be called physiognomical later on when in the course of my life i have had occasion to meet with in convents for instance literally saintly examples of practical charity they have generally had the brisk decided undisturbed and slightly brutal air of a busy surgeon the face in which one can discern no commiseration no tenderness at the sight of suffering humanity and no fear of hurting it the face devoid of gentleness or sympathy the sublime face of true goodness then while the kitchen-maid who all unawares made the superior qualities of Françoise shine with added lustre just as error by force of contrast enhances the triumph of truth took in coffee which according to mamma was nothing more than hot water and then carried up to our rooms hot water which was barely tepid i would be lying stretched out on my bed a book in my hand in my room which trembled with the effort to defend its frail transparent coolness against the afternoon sun behind its almost closed shutters through which however a reflection of the sunlight had contrived to slip in on its golden wings remaining motionless between glass and woodwork in a corner like a butterfly poised upon a flower it was hardly light enough for me to read and my feeling of the day's brightness and splendour was derived solely from the blows struck down below in the rue de la cure by camus whom Françoise had assured that my aunt was not resting and that he might therefore make a noise upon some old packing-cases from which nothing would really be sent flying but the dust though the din of them in the resonant atmosphere that accompanies hot weather seemed to scatter broadcast a rain of blood-red stars and from the flies who performed for my benefit in their small concert as it might be the chamber music of summer evoking heat and light quite differently from an air of human music which if you happen to have heard it during a fine summer will always bring that summer back to your mind the fly's music is bound to the season by a closer a more vital tie born of sunny days and not to be reborn but with them containing something of their essential nature it not merely calls up their image in our memory but gives us a guarantee that they do really exist that they are close around us immediately accessible this dim freshness of my room was to the broad daylight of the street what the shadow is to the sunbeam that is to say equally luminous and presented to my imagination the entire panorama of summer which my senses if i had been out walking could have tasted and enjoyed in fragments only and so was quite in harmony with my state of repose which thanks to the adventures related in my books which had just excited it 
bore like a hand reposing motionless in a stream of running water the shock and animation of a torrent of activity and life but my grandmother even if the weather after growing too hot had broken and a storm or just a shower had burst over us would come up and beg me to go outside and as i did not wish to leave off my book i would go on with it in the garden under the chestnut tree in a little sentry-box of canvas and matting in the farthest recesses of which i used to sit and feel that i was hidden from the eyes of any one who might be coming to call upon the family and then my thoughts did not they form a similar sort of hiding-hole in the depths of which i felt that i could bury myself and remain invisible even when i was looking at what went on outside when i saw any external object my consciousness that i was seeing it would remain between me and it enclosing it in a slender incorporeal outline which prevented me from ever coming directly in contact with the material form for it would volatilize itself in some way before i could touch it just as an incandescent body which is moved towards something wet never actually touches moisture since it has always preceded itself by a zone of evaporation upon the sort of screen patterned with different states and impressions which my consciousness would quietly unfold while i was reading and which ranged from the most deeply hidden aspirations of my heart to the wholly external view of the horizon spread out before my eyes at the foot of the garden what was from the first the most permanent and the most intimate part of me the lever whose incessant movements controlled all the rest was my belief in the philosophic richness and beauty of the book i was reading and my desire to appropriate these to myself whatever the book might be for even if i had purchased it at combray having seen it outside Boranges, whose grocery lay too far from our house for francoise to be able to deal there as she did with camus but who enjoyed better custom as a stationer and bookseller even if i had seen it tied with string to keep it in its place in the mosaic of monthly parts and pamphlets which adorned either side of his doorway a doorway more mysterious more teeming with suggestion than that of a cathedral i should have noticed and bought it there simply because i had recognized it as a book which had been well spoken of in my hearing by the schoolmaster or the school friend who at that particular time seemed to me to be entrusted with the secret of truth and beauty things half felt by me half incomprehensible the full understanding of which was the vague but permanent object of my thoughts next to this central belief which while i was reading would be constantly a motion from my inner self to the outer world towards the discovery of truth came the emotions aroused in me by the action in which i would be taking part for these afternoons were crammed with more dramatic and sensational events than occur often in a whole lifetime these were the events which took place in the book i was reading it is true that the people concerned in them were not what francoise would have called real people but none of the feelings which the joys or misfortunes of a real person awake in us can be awakened except through a mental picture of those joys or misfortunes and the ingenuity of the first novelist lay in his understanding that as the picture was the one essential element in the complicated structure of our emotions so that simplification of it which consisted in the suppression pure and simple of real people would be a decided improvement a real person profoundly as we may sympathize with him 
is in a great measure perceptible only through our senses that is to say he remains opaque offers a dead weight which our sensibilities have not the strength to lift if some misfortune comes to him it is only in one small section of the complete idea we have of him that we are capable of feeling any emotion indeed it is only in one small section of the complete idea he has of himself that he is capable of feeling any emotion either the novelist's happy discovery was to think of substituting for those opaque sections impenetrable by the human spirit their equivalent in immaterial sections things that is which the spirit can assimilate to itself after which it matters not that the actions the feelings of this new order of creatures appear to us in the guise of truth since we have made them our own since it is in ourselves that they are happening that they are holding in thrall while we turn over feverishly the pages of the book our quickened breath and staring eyes and once the novelist has brought us to that state in which as in all purely mental states every emotion is multiplied tenfold into which his book comes to disturb us as might a dream but a dream more lucid and of a more lasting impression than those which come to us in sleep why then for the space of an hour he sets free within us all the joys and sorrows in the world a few of which only we should have to spend years of our actual life in getting to know and the keenest the most intense of which would never have been revealed to us because the slow course of their development stops our perception of them it is the same in life the heart changes and that is our worst misfortune but we learn of it only from reading or by imagination for in reality its alteration like that of certain natural phenomena is so gradual that even if we are able to distinguish successively each of its different states we are still spared the actual sensation of change next too but distinctly less intimate a part of myself than this human element would come the view more or less projected before my eyes of the country in which the action of the story was taking place which made a far stronger impression on my mind than the other the actual landscape which would meet my eyes when i raised them from my book in this way for two consecutive summers i used to sit in the heat of our combrai garden sick with a longing inspired by the book i was then reading for a land of mountains and rivers where i could see an endless vista of sawmills where beneath the limpid currents fragments of wood lay mouldering in beds of watercress and near by rambling and clustering along low walls purple flowers and red and since there was always lurking in my mind the dream of a woman who would enrich me with her love that dream in those two summers used to be quickened with the freshness and coolness of running water and whoever she might be the woman whose image i called to mind purple flowers and red would at once spring up on either side of her like complementary colours this was not only because an image of which we dream remains for ever distinguished is adorned and enriched by the association of colours not its own which may happen to surround it in our mental picture for the scenes in the books i read were to me not merely scenery more vividly portrayed by my imagination than any which combray could spread before my eyes but otherwise of the same kind because of the selection that the author had made of them because of the spirit of faith in which my mind would exceed and anticipate his printed word as it might be interpreting a revelation these scenes used to give me the impression 
one which i hardly ever derived from any place in which i might happen to be and never from our garden that undistinguished product of the strictly conventional fantasy of the gardener whom my grandmother so despised of their being actually part of nature herself and worthy to be studied and explored had my parents allowed me when i read a book to pay a visit to the country it described i should have felt that i was making an enormous advance towards the ultimate conquest of truth for even if we have the sensation of being always enveloped in surrounded by our own soul still it does not seem a fixed and immovable prison rather do we seem to be borne away with it and perpetually struggling to pass beyond it to break out into the world with a perpetual discouragement as we hear endlessly all around us that unvarying sound which is no echo from without but the resonance of a vibration from within we try to discover in things endeared to us on that account the spiritual glamour which we ourselves have cast upon them we are disillusioned and learn that they are in themselves barren and devoid of the charm which they owed in our minds to the association of certain ideas sometimes we mobilize all our spiritual forces in a glittering array so as to influence and subjugate other human beings who as we very well know are situated outside ourselves where we can never reach them and so if i always imagined the woman i loved as in a setting of whatever places i most longed at the time to visit if in my secret longings it was she who attracted me to them who opened to me the gate of an unknown world that was not by the mere hazard of a simple association of thoughts no it was because my dreams of travel and of love were only moments which i isolate artificially to-day as though i were cutting sections at different heights in a jet of water rainbow flashing but seemingly without flow or motion were only drops in a single undeviating irresistible outrush of all the forces of my life and then as i continue to trace the outward course of these impressions from their close-packed intimate source in my consciousness and before i come to the horizon of reality which envelops them i discover pleasures of another kind those of being comfortably seated of tasting the good scent on the air of not being disturbed by any visitor and when an hour chimed from the steeple of st hilaire of watching what was already spent of the afternoon fall drop by drop until i heard the last stroke which enabled me to add up the total sum after which the silence that followed seemed to herald the beginning in the blue sky above me of that long part of the day still allowed me for reading until the good dinner which Françoise was even now preparing should come to strengthen and refresh me after the strenuous pursuit of its hero through the pages of my book and as each hour struck it would seem to me that a few seconds only had passed since the hour before the latest would inscribe itself close to its predecessor on the sky's surface and i would be unable to believe that sixty minutes could be squeezed into the tiny arc of blue which was comprised between their two golden figures sometimes it would even happen that this precocious hour would sound two strokes more than the last that there must then have been an hour which i had not heard strikes something which had taken place had not taken place for me the fascination of my book a magic as potent as the deepest slumber had stopped my enchanted ears and had obliterated the sound of that golden bell from the azure surface of the enveloping silence 
sweet sunday afternoons beneath the chestnut tree in our combrai garden from which i was careful to eliminate every commonplace incident of my actual life replacing them by a career of strange adventures and ambitions in a land watered by living streams you still recall those adventures and ambitions to my mind when i think of you and you embody and preserve them by virtue of having little by little drawn round and enclosed them while i went on with my book and the heat of the day declined in the gradual crystallization slowly altering in form and dappled with a pattern of chestnut leaves of your silent sonorous fragrant limpid hours end of part two section six recording by expatriate in bangor maine